Curiosity on Dublin City FM. We're here, we're queer, get into it. I'm James O'Hagan and this is Curiosity, proudly presented by LGBT Ireland, the National LGBT Support Service. Whatever's on your mind, LGBT Ireland's helpline volunteers are here to listen seven days a week on 1800 929 539. Lots to talk about on the show today. First off, Podrick and I are going to help you out with some highlights of the week's biggest LGBTQI plus stories in the Rainbow Roundup. Then we're joined by Paddy Crosby of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland Dementia Campaign Carers Network, who has been working towards eliminating the cultural stigma around dementia and ensuring LGBTQI plus people feel safe to access mainstream services. Then actor and theatre maker Anthony Kinnahan joins us to chat about his new show Unguarded, which kicked off its national tour this week in the Project Art Centre, telling the story of a father battling the obstacles through Ireland's surrogacy process. And guess who's back in the house? She's an icon, she's a legend, and she is the moment. Make some noise for reeling in the queers, making her 2024 debut as Podrick brings us back to the year that Netflix newly rebooted Queer Eye had the entire world in an emotional chokehold. But before we get into any of that, he's the Beyonce to my gaga, Podrick Wilson McCarthy. Are you are you all right over there? I didn't know who was coming on the show there. I was like, who is the moment? Who is it? <laughs> I was like, Peppa is it Pig a surpri- was alright to walk right in that door. <laughs> was like, you were surprising me or something. Oh my God, what a build up. Uh, I'm great, as usual. How are you? Uh, look, I'm doing fantastic. I have to say, I, I do feel like January has been about six years long yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, I could do with it. I could do with getting it behind yeah. us. Well, we're, Come we're on, St. Bridges. Yeah, we're Come almost on, into our, our eighth and final week of January. It's, it feels <sighs> like it anyway, doesn't it? It absolutely does. It's cruel every year. It doesn't make a difference. It's just yeah. painful. And like the new year, new me is over. Oh, here, I'm listen. back to my old sure, ways again. Up, packed up and went away. <laughs> <laughs> Went away by January second. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I wasn't. I wasn't into any of that. Who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> but I saw during the week you're heading off to to New York pretty soon, I looking am... for all the reckies. I got a load of reckies, but like, do you know what? Right, and I do appreciate them, but it's all the same. Everyone's like, make sure now you get to the nine eleven memorial. I'm like, obviously, I'm going to. I went off the beaten track recommendations. Come on, people, you're letting I them know, down. Let, you're letting you know, them down. Know, Jersey Gardens. I'm not going there. You know, I know. In fairness, those people reached out and sent me loads of recommendations on Instagram this week so I compiled them all and I shared them but now I feel under pressure to get to see everything but I'm going on a solo trip so I feel like I won't be under pressure by anyone else Are you, You're going to find Che Diaz to find <laughs> out what happened to Che Diaz <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to see who can poach for the show while I'm over there I'll bring a little mic will I? Oh well, look, I'm, I'm absolutely I want that on the street recordings I want to hear from the people of New York <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, I actually can't wait but my only thing is and I always do this when I go to a new city I kind of romanticise myself moving there and I, oh, I'm preempting that being the case of me coming back and being depressed by the fact that I don't actually live in New York. Yeah, but I, we'll see. I do. I do exactly the same. I picture myself like Lauren Conrad heading over I towards uh, towards LA in her in her topless car. But like, I wouldn't ask this in time. Like, I'm from Cork. Like, <laughs> we don't even have a skyscraper down there. You know. Well, look. I mean, it it is a very glamorous city down there. I'm, I'm sure that it'll feel just like home. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the news. Let's get into it. Do you know what? Speaking of glamour. The Oscar nominations were out this week and they've made quite a bit of controversy but most of the media attention around them um, is centred around snu- the snubbing. Snubbing that's been going on. The snubbery. The, the snubbery of it all. I mean, the snubbery of it all really has been sort of sucking up all the oxygen in the world. And what I think was, if I'm correct, 
like a relatively progressive uh, set of nominations in other ways. Did, well, like, I, I, to be honest, most of my time has been taken up by the fact that, you know, all of us strangers and the Barbie snobs, but I don't even know who else is nominated. Well, look, all I know is that there is a couple of sort of queer women have been nominated oh, in good. the Best Actress. I'm, I'm and glad. There's, there's, there's some like good representation in other ways, but I do think well, that well, it's... It's a shame that that's not being, you know, portrayed in the media yeah. because all we're seeing is that, you know... Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig they both didn't get nominated for Barbie when Ryan Gosling did so a lot of people calling that out you know but I do think it's interesting when you when you look at these things happening online you see like a kind of a micro cycle happening where kind of you know the day they were released it was kind of like the entire internet was on fire because Margot Robbie and um and Greta Gerwig went nominated and then sort of you know following that you saw sort of a lot of attention turning to the fact that like you know oh my god like how privileged are people to yeah. be thinking that this is a problem and and I do think that you know I saw that as well it's, yeah. it's it's important to put it back to the context of the time. Like when Barbie came out, it was, you know, the biggest show in town. It was, it undoubtedly pulled Oppenheimer like up alongside with Without it. A like, there's, Without no, a doubt. there's no two ways about it. So like to see it kind of now arrive at the place, like it is like a perfect representation of society as it currently is that, you know, a woman produced, woman directed kind of, you know, film about an iconic female that was telling the story of like female empowerment that like the only person to get like one of those sort of like the, the kind of the headline best actor, best uh, best actress sort of nods was the male character. Exactly. Now America Ferreira did get nominated for the, sure. the supporting and actress. Good for her. But at and the well same time, actually. absolutely well, well deserved. deserved. But at the same time, it is some... kind of like... You know, I suppose it's, it's an interesting. All, it's, look, it's the story being played out in real life, isn't it? Really, in a way, it is. It is, and, a it's, way. and it's interesting to see it. Um, and a lot of people, and even Ryan Gosling came out and he had a word about it. He he released a statement, you know, saying that he was bitterly disappointed because this was their their movie in a way that's what he was trying to portray but not only that All of Us Strangers which only came out yesterday right so a lot of people say well it's not even out yet but like it is critically acclaimed already and I have seen it because I was at the <laughs> premiere last week and it is a an amazing movie right and a lot of people sharing their disappointment that it hasn't been um, acknowledged at all by, by the Oscars at all across the Oscars but it has been by other other award ceremonies, yeah, so, like like you know, there's it's been nominated for the Baftas, and many others. No. So it's just it's it's weird. I, I'd love to know what the reason behind are or what the criteria to to be nominated for an Academy Award is. Yeah, I I do kind of think like, and I suppose like you know the 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 the. All of the strangers coming out much later. It had come out yeah. like considerably earlier in in America and Australia, as yeah. far as I'm aware. So you were kind of seeing, you know, I suppose like there, there wasn't. It was in the running for it, and I suppose maybe they didn't anticipate it kind of like hitting as hard as it yeah. did, you know, or maybe they they did yeah, they saw it perhaps. as like a, a story that wasn't related to the US and therefore didn't feel as That's connected what I to it. That's what I um, but I do think it's a real pity. It's not a movie I've seen yet. It is certainly no, one that's I, on the list because it's only only just out and people haven't seen it yet. I'm interested to see between now and March when the Oscars do happen yeah. what people's opinion of it because look maybe I'm like just slightly obsessed with the fact that I'm obsessed with Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott I don't know but <laughs> anyone that I saw with they all agreed it was an absolutely amazing movie so I'll be interested to see what the general consensus is on that and then people can actually decide whether it deserves oh, and it and I think perhaps the Oscars felt like look we did the Irish thing last year we had we had Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell and all of that carry on going last year we're not we're not we're not having yeah. those lot here again <laughs> totally totally in other news James a new campaign is calling on Meta uh, social media 
company yeah. uh, to do more to protect LGBTQ users from abuse online. The hashtag Secure Our Socials campaign is calling on social media joint to be more accountable for its users and more transparent in publishing data on user safety. Yeah, and this I think is like, I mean, it ties into something that that's, that's, that's kind of like a really big conversation in the ether at the moment, which is about how social media companies are responsible for and handling the sort of radicalization or the degree of kind of hate that is being perpetrated on their platforms and how much totally. ownership they have over yeah. it. And so I, I do know that it kind of dovetails into uh, an Irish Council of Civil Liberties piece of research, which was also re- released this week, which is calling on, I suppose, ultimately its recommendation was calling on uh, the social media companies to stop profiling individuals based on their their sexual orientation or their political uh, their, their political leanings and to stop using recommender systems to try and sort of That's push what I was wondering is is that what, is that what they mean by that so that basically like I mean I know that you know um for for the likes of Facebook, for example, you do, but you can put in your sexuality, you can put in your gender and, and stuff like that. And by doing so, are you allowing your data to be used to push in the direction of other yeah, like-minded absolutely. I suppose what, what it's doing though Profiles. is like it, it, it's also like you, know, so you give it some information about yourself when you sign up but then you start engaging with content and the more you're engaging with content of a certain type the more it pushes algorithm. that towards you yeah. um, and so the the research that came out this week kind of looked at the attitudes of Irish people in general about mm. kind of like their thoughts on this issue it found that 74% of individuals felt that there should be stricter regulation of social media companies I think uh, well obviously most people agree that yeah. that's an important thing and the, the media regulator has advised that we need to turn off the recommendation systems because 64% of extremist group joins. So 64% of individuals joining or are, are, are kind of like joins into those groups are down to sort of integrated recommendation tools that are part and parcel of the, the, the social media platforms. So 82% of people have said that they believe that they should turn off the algorithm. And while I think that, you know, it certainly would make for an, like a, a very interesting new sort of space in yeah. your, your feed, because like, I don't even know what my my Instagram feed would look like. I, like, I don't want to be served sports. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. <laughs> well, look, that's it. Exactly. Like you would just be seeing, but I guess it would be going back to kind of just seeing content as it's posted and you know I know that that yeah. would have a knock on effect for a lot of people who rely on social media and particularly on that sort of like manipulation of the algorithm in order to like make their career but then again you have to like base that against kind of the potential yeah. damage being done yeah. by having these really yeah. negative um, totally. kind of these, pushing people towards these more extremist views and like you know sadly more and more and more hate towards the LGBTQ community are kind of is springing up online Without a we doubt. see that like in the even sort of uh, we see that even in posts around or like talking about LGBTQ plus people like I was only saying to you that like we were chatting in the office today about the fact that the the, the comments have had to be turned off on RTE2 posts relating to LGBTQ plus people on first dates I saw so that. because they because, and I, I unfortunately in a way had the opportunity to read some of those comments before they were turned off and they were repulsive like repulsive I know it is just like it is horrific that sort of you go to there and like you look at sort of all this, the, the sort of you know cisgendered heterosexual people who are like on their dates and there is just you know kind of and like an outpouring of, of love yeah, the, yeah. outpouring of love or smattering of comments or encouragement or like you know making witty comments and then you go to the ones about the queer couples and it is absolutely horrific what's being said about them and the, the message that's sending to queer people so I think that you know absolutely anything that we can do to stop that radicalisation and stop spreading that hate is so important and I would be down for turning off the algorithm 
I uh, I don't know now. Retiring the algorithm. I think there's definitely room for it, yeah. I I definitely I think there's there's it, there's needs to be something needs to be done for sure. For sure, but just don't serve me sports in my algorithm, please. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, from that, a couple of weeks ago, actually, James, when you were missing, you were in your holly bops. Oh, bear week, time. bear week. You'll be coming around again soon, babe. Don't worry. Well, look, that's it. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be ringing in then on my uh, yeah. from from my beach side. <laughs> um, I spoke to Senator Annie Hoy about um, David Norris. He had just announced his retirement, and yesterday, he it, it was official. Yeah, earlier this week he did yeah. a um he he gave his sort of I, I don't know I know that the beginning like the beginning of your career is marked by like a commencement speech yeah. I don't know what the opposite of that is like yeah. when it's your last speech but he gave his like his his last address a eulogy his eulogy <laughs> oh my god his career eulogy he gave his, no, his last there, address yeah. to, to the Irish Senate which is absolutely I mean capping off a truly remarkable career, career. and yeah, congratulations to him a 100% like a well deserved retirement he has said that he's going to remain sort of as actively involved as he can in the issues that are close to his heart he's made a real strong call out for for everyone in Ireland to to remain kind of you know really active towards inclusion and, and solidarity between social movements for fairness right around the world totally I think when you've been a trailblazer like that yeah. you can't just switch off there's no, no way. There's no way. So fair play to him. Uh, I do believe I read somewhere. Did I hear he's off to Malta? I think he is. And look, sure. Good for him. Well deserved. Well, well de- deserved. <laughs> well, wouldn't you love it? <laughs> Bear week in Malta for you next year. Anyway, coming up, we're chatting to Paddy Crosby um, of the Dementia Carers Campaign Network. But first, we've got some Irish music, Irish queer music. It's Viscos and Control on Curiosity. <laughs> No matter who you are or who you love, dementia doesn't discriminate. And together with the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland LGBTQI plus pilot group, in the past year, Paddy Crosby of the Dementia Carers Campaign Network has been driving to ensure that members of the LGBTQI plus community have a quality of access to services and support if and when they need them. Thank you so much for chatting to us today, Paddy. It's absolutely, it's, it's a delight. Every time I get to speak to you is always a delight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you. And I like the idea of driving. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose one of the reasons that we we wanted to speak to you today is because you have a real authentic sort of lived experience of this particular issue. And during the, the final years of your, your husband Derek's life, you cared for him and were assisted by a number of external health and social care service providers. How important was it for you that you felt that your relationship was responsible by those providing care and assistance and and how was that like very difficult experience for you? Um, It was very important that our relationship was recognised and I suppose to give you a little bit of a background there was I was coming to this from from a situation where we both had experienced homophobia in Mm -hmm. the past and Derek particularly so when he lived in Belfast he had friends whose windows had been pushed through with bricks and that kind of thing because you know queer all of those awful terms that were mm-hmm. that were used in a derogatory term yeah. and I do think if you've ever experienced homophobia close up you definitely it leaves you scarred yeah. definitely so not only were we dealing with his illness but there was a residue of uh, a nervousness about having strangers into our home because if we ever had anybody in Derek had to be sure that they were we either re- if you were looking for workmen or anything like that, he would go to GCN or something like mm-hmm. that to find somebody who was either gay or comfortable 
with being gay because, you know, if we were abroad, he liked to see the little pink triangle or the rainbow somewhere in a restaurant or a bar or something that we would go into. So that was always at the back of my mind in terms of trying to determine the kind of service and how we would access it. So I was very upfront in saying, now, this is a gay couple. You're coming into our home. If that's a problem, you're not coming in, yes. basically. Yeah. So we were, I say we were lucky uh, in that the people that we encountered were very open and very honest and very willing to engage with us and our relationship it just wasn't an issue we were a couple we were together they came in and they were comfortable in our house and I do think it was the fact that I was so upfront in saying this is what it is this is the situation and if you're coming in this is how we're doing business around here we were very lucky we had three wonderful carers mm-hmm. I remember the first time Stephen, William and Patricia mm-hmm. um, and when Stephen arrived, first of all, I opened the door to this six foot, big, tattooed <laughs> Welshman. <laughs> what a dream. <laughs> and I was going, uh, I thought, right, well, OK, come on in. He knew because when I had engaged with the care company, I had told him. So he knew we were a gay couple. Yeah. And he came in and it just, I just knew instantly this wasn't an issue. Yes. yes. Came in and he started talking to both of us and he mentioned the word rugby and Derek's eyes lit up because yeah. he was a huge rugby fanatic yeah. and so was Stephen. He was from Wales. Yeah. So the two yeah. of them bonded over that immediately. And then he told us about, you know, going on holidays to the Canaries and he loved to go and see a drag show. Oh, and brilliant. I thought, right, we're in. Yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So that was really good. And he was kind of the catalyst then because he came and was very much like a personal assistant to Derek in that he didn't take over. The mantra was keeping Derek doing what he can do for as long as possible. And Stephen had the same idea all along. So as he was great at he had expe- he obviously had experience of dealing with somebody with dementia mm-hmm. because he was watching for signs that I probably didn't see. Yeah. And he was the one that said, Paddy, we need we need more people on this team, not just you and I. So he was uh, instrumental then in getting two other people to join the team. Yeah. And the idea that they ca- they understood it wasn't an issue. Yeah. You know, it just it it just wasn't an issue at all for any of them. They were coming to our house. We were a couple and they wanted to know all about us as a couple, how long we'd been together, how we'd met, all of those things. The same thing happened then when we had to access day ser- daycare service with the Alzheimer's Society in Black Rock. Mm. I went and I met them, first of all, and I told them the same situation and it just I mean, I can remember Claude looking at me as much as say, why do you think this is going to be an issue? Yeah. It just wasn't an issue at all. And again, we were lucky because I don't think everybody has that same experience. Yeah, of course. But I do. And I was brave enough to be able to say, this is who we are. This is how we live. You have to accept it. Sure. Yeah. Older people's services, they've a t- they've a tendency to be very heteronormative, which which can result in members of, of our community feeling invisible or unable to be themselves. How do you feel that we can begin to change this so that I suppose the experience that older members in the LGBTQ plus community have a more positive experience? I find that quite hard to, you know, to yeah. distill into one or two little things. I do know that, I mean, when Derek was diagnosed, he was only 58. Oh so he was under 65. So services weren't available to yeah. him at all. So, the, but 
I do remember when we started to engage, um, it's seeing little things like, again, the lanyard that might have the rainbow mm-hmm. flag or somebody with a little pin just to let you know it's OK. Yeah. You know, it's fine yeah. because, uh, again, my attitude was we're going, you have to accept us. I come as a package because I need to be here with him. Yes. He needs a voice. Mm. He may, under, at the early stages, he would understand to a certain degree. But as it was progressing, I was going to have to be there to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So and to be able to explain the situation for him as to how it was, because I was able to witness what his needs were. Whereas if you're going into a clinic or to a doctor or something like that. They haven't been on the of ground. They don't know and it. Derek wouldn't have been able to explained them. I mean, if I jump forward when he in 2020, he collapsed at home uh, Easter Sunday and an ambulance came to take him away. And it was we were in the middle of COVID and I wasn't allowed to go with him. I didn't see him for eight weeks. I think I had about 25 phone calls within that that evening from different doctors and nurses because Derek wasn't able to yeah. communicate. Yeah. So it was so important that somebody who's in, with dementia as progressing, that they have somebody who's able to speak for them and, as well. And again, mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, your relationship was respected and understood to be the primary relationship within his life, which for a lot of particularly older LGBTQI plus couples may not be the case because the access to, to marriage or civil partnership yeah. wasn't yeah. wasn't there. We only have a couple of minutes left. I honestly could speak to you for the rest of the day. 100%. But I suppose I wanted to touch off the 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 activism that that you've gotten involved in sort of since uh, since your partner's diagnosis, um, and particularly through the Dementia's Campaign Network. Can you tell us about the Dementia Campaign Network and why it was so important for you to get involved and be visible as as an LGBTQIA plus person in that space? Well, originally when Derek was diagnosed, he wanted to give something back, and he joined the Dementia Working Group and from that then this Dementia Carers Campaign Network started and it's an advocacy group for the voice of carers to make sure that it is heard around the the country and I'm also involved in the European one as well. It was very important to me so that people would understand that it didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter colour, creed, sexual, uh, sexuality, orientation, whatever it was, you were able to be involved in this group. I also brought the voice of a male carer, which is not always heard. Yes. And so that was kind of the burning desire that I had to be involved in this so that the voice of the carer from a gay uh, gay man would be heard. And a lot of the work that we've been doing is about making sure that the voice of the carers are heard. One of the things we did this year, we launched a podcast series of podcasts and the first one we did was caring for in the LGBTQ community. And it was about sharing that experience. There's a series of seven of them and it's about uh, your identity as a carer, home care, post-diagnostic supports, housing or hearing and brain health, uh, getting a diagnosis and then moving from respite to home care. So it gives a picture of the entire journey that a carer of somebody with dementia goes on and your sexuality and orientation doesn't matter because okay. this is what you go yes, through. Okay. And through it. I, it's and a lived experience. Yeah. I, I would have to say that the the Dem Talks Dem Talks podcast, which you can get in any podcast app, it's a fantastic way to feel connected into. I think because a lot of carers would would say that they feel quite isolated and quite lonely, and this is a great place to go and hear the other people's uh, stories and get that support. And I would recommend everybody go and listen to it. I was lucky enough to be part of the episode that, that Derek uh, participated in, and you you got, get to go into de- much more detail 
detail about your own uh, relationship with Derek in that in that episode and it is really really beautiful we'll share a link to that on social media so you can go and check it out but thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today Paddy it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure one more thing before I go if anybody out there is having worries about their mind or their memory or anything like that please ring the Alzheimer's Society helpline 1-800-341-341 it is an amazing resource and it's a great place to start we'll share that with details on social media as well thank you so much my pleasure thank you Coming up later, we're taking you back to the year The Greatest Showman was one of the biggest hits of the year in Reeling in the Queers. But right now, we're joined by, we're joined by Drogheda's own greatest showman. <laughs> actor and theatre maker Anthony Kinnahan is going to chat to us about his new show, Unguarded, which kicked off its national tour this week at the Project Arts Centre. How are you, Anthony? Welcome into the studio. Thank you so much. That's the best intro I've ever had. Hey, that was that was that was Slick, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, you know? yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting better at this. Yeah, yeah. The only way is down after that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, Unguarded, Anthony. Right. Um, James spoke about it there. Um, its debut was last night. It tells the story of an Irish LGBTQI plus family's journey of trying to have children through surrogacy. What made you choose? this issue to highlight through Unguarded? Um, so basically uh, I'm an actor and theatre maker uh, that's my job that pays the bills sometimes and uh, <laughs> I usually work with a, a theatre company called Quintessence Theatre up in the northeast, and we're very ensemble based and uh, we're collective so we devise shows usually around social issues usually actually around um, gender, sexuality uh, things like that so um, but in 2021, uh, Drogheda Arts Centre in Drogheda afforded me opportunity to um, kind of broaden my own horizons as an individual artist. Uh, so I wanted to write a play. Uh, and when I sat down with the blank screen, um, this was the story that kind of poured out of me. Um, I suppose I would consider myself as an activist in my, you know, outside life, outside mm-hmm. of work as well. Uh, I was heavily involved in marriage equality and I uh, canvas for repeal and I, I'm the chair of Outcomers Drada, an LGBT organisation Drada and um, I I kind of see my art as an extension of my own activism so I feel like you know the fact that families there's any families uh, in Ireland but certainly a large majority of LGBT families in Ireland that don't have uh, full rights the children don't have full rights to their parents mm-hmm. and the parents don't have full rights to their uh, children I think that's Mad in the year twenty twenty four, like that's crazy. Like, and I think as well for me is what if I feel like if you ask a lot of the uh, non LGBT population, should they be like, "Ah, should the gays yeah. have everything yeah. now?" Don't yeah. they, do you know what I mean? It's like, funny because I was going to say that mm. I don't think people are actually aware mm. how how far behind we are in that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, so I, I and for me now, obviously, um, surrogacy and and families uh, created through other uh, alternative reproductive means. It isn't just an LGBT issue. There's yeah. a lot of non LGBT yeah, families that that ex- are in this legal limbo as well. Uh, but obviously, because of biology, uh, <laughs> there's a, a large majority of LGBT families exist in this legal limbo and it's just not right and I think as I say like I think since 2015 a large amount of the general population thinks sure what more that, do they want yeah, do you yeah, know what I mean yeah like, they're sorted now but yeah exactly but you know children actual children in this country don't have 
full legal rights to their parents and the complications that that can create yeah. within within parenting and for parents that, mm-hmm. I, I mean quite aside from all of the distress of, of not having a legal relationship with, with your own child with the child that you're raising mm-hmm. and for the child the parents is, is absolutely like a, it, it's devastating and something that I, I really hope that we are dealing with and solving at the the moment mm-hmm. but you're sort of you're an LGBTQ parent yourself mm-hmm. so the show must have had a really strong personal resonance for you and a lot of pressure to get it right mm-hmm. how did you go about researching the show uh, uh, well I will point out first of all I'm not a surrogate parent I'm a parent originally through fostering mm-hmm. um, and I'm a single LGBT parent as well Um so obviously when I'm telling a story about surrogacy or kind of any family created through alternative reproductive means, uh, I really wanted to make sure that obviously I'm not talking about it from my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. Uh, so I consulted with uh, Rene von Medding from Equality for Children uh, and uh, also Maeve Delargy, who's a solicitor, uh, part of the Lesbian Lawyers Network and Outlaw. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure from uh, from those two that, you know, uh, what I wasn't, what I was saying wasn't misrepresenting yeah. anything. I was telling an authentic mm-hmm. thing. Um and obviously, look, as you were mentioning, James, it's like, you know, we all, we all know, especially if we were in a couple before 2015, you know, we were always grew up in this kind of second class citizenship and these families still exist in this place. So I suppose I can talk about that from my own personal point of view, that how that feels, you know, yeah. how that can permeate through your whole um, life and your your mental health and, and all that kind of stuff. Just living your life in that everyday space of being yeah. that second class place. Um, but uh, telling the story of, of these kind of families, I, I really, you know, I want to, I did my research, spoke to families, spoke to Rene, spoke to, to Maeve as well. But obviously the play as well, it tells of a father who's... Um, recently uh, grieved he recently widowed um, and uh, he has to bring up the son on his own Um, I I can speak as that being a a single dad myself and and, um, the son in the piece is also neurodivergent so I have a neurodivergent son and so there's a lot of while I can't directly speak about being a surrogate parent I can speak about all these other Mm -hmm. things as well the son in the piece is also um, obsessed about musicals and (laughs) that was me back in the day and there's a nice bit of comedy to be gleaned from that when you see that I'm multi-rolling in in the play so I play uh, various different characters just with the uh, roll of a shoulder and the tilt of a head and stuff like that and changing my voice but um uh it's it's lovely to see the play through the sun's eyes tig yeah. is is the name and uh yeah it, you know there's a lot of resemblances i suppose to my own son too now he's not directly um taken from him but you know it's a, it's a composite mm-hmm. character but it certainly can be seen as a bit of a love yeah. letter to my yeah. own son yeah, as well you know i was going to ask that like did you did you bring much of yourself and is a, is a lot of the show reflective of your own experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, you know, the father in the play, he gets a bit stressed at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just, and it does show that kind of everyday living, especially when you've got um, uh, a son who might be neurodivergent and, you know, then, you know, just obsessions can come along. And I was a bit like that myself when I was younger. Ma'am, dad, blah, 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 yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. talking all the time. And yeah. you're like, OK, stop talking down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for, for sure that everyday life comes out. And, and um, I think the story is good at showing that everyday life and creating a bit of empathy with the audience for people who may not um, know about, you know, uh, that 
these families still exist in a legal limbo. And I think it creates a nice bit of empathy when they're not just purely statistics, but it's mm-hmm. also like... You're seeing a lived experience. Yeah, a lived yeah. experience. Putting a face uh, and an yeah. idea to, to, to this abstract kind of uh, case. But yeah, for sure, like it, it was... A lot of myself yeah. went into yeah. this. And, and being able to represent a story like that is one of the wonderful things about theatre, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think you said at the beginning about how kind of, I suppose, you see yourself as an activist kind of, you know, through other roles that you're, mm. you're taking on. But I very much think in the way that you're telling these stories, I know that you, you had a previous production that looked at the, the lived experience and the life of a, of a sort of an, an Irish trans person in, in a very sort of like different time mm. setting and very different piece. But I think by being able to use it, that's, a, that's another aspect to your, your, your activism. And I suppose what's important with that is what audiences might take away from it. And like, so what would you like audiences, particularly those coming from outside of the queer community, to take away from, from coming to a show like yours? Yeah, like just that these families exist just because we don't let uh, if we don't legislate for them that doesn't mean they go away uh, they still exist and they will continue to exist and the legislation that we have in the country needs to be robust enough to cover all these families so mm-hmm. that there's not one child in this country that doesn't have full rights to both their parents the parents that are bringing them up and rearing them mm-hmm. and that the same happens for the parents that have these children that they have so like I mean for example we did a post-show discussion last night with Irish Gay Dads and Equality for Children and Maeve Delargy as well and there was representatives from Irish families through surrogacy and, and Senator uh, Mary Siri Carney was there as well and just hearing like the story in Unguarded is the worst case scenario but it happens mm-hmm. you know it tells of of uh, homophobic gra- biological grandparents the biological father has died and the biological grandparents who are homophobic then make a, a claim for the custody mm-hmm. um, and I suppose that was their worst fears being played out in stage you know um, so when uh, Joe Dempsey a representative of Irish Gay Dads he was uh, on the panel last night and he was like oh yeah I drive and I do these talks for Irish Gay Dads and but I'm the biological parent so I'm driving away thinking if I have a car crash now what happens to my child? What happens to my partner? And living in that headspace is not yeah. right, you know. So no. that's what I'd like. I'd like uh, the general public to take away that these families exist, and we need to have re- robust legislation for them. Also, while having a very ter- entertaining night in the theater <laughs> with comedy and song and movement sequences and multiple, <laughs> yeah, 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 physical. Yeah. And that, that brings us to the end of our our very our whistle stop ten minute mm-hmm. tour of Unguarded. So, where can people go to find out where they can find it all around the country yeah. and book them? sells a ticket to have yeah. a wonderful night with Anthony Kinnahan yeah exactly yeah, here's, yeah. The uh, here's the plug uh, so uh, if you go to at unguarded play on Instagram all the information is there also if you uh, search unguarded play on Linktree all the dates of the other 15 venues after the Project Arts Centre around the country uh, are all there so please buy a ticket tell your friends tell your granny you know uh, tell everybody <laughs> and, and bring them along Anthony best of luck thank with you it. so much cheers thank, thank you, you so much thank you guys been so long have you missed it I have I have oh my god I got the goosies there <laughs> it's great it, does, it, feels, it feels like back being back in the old days yeah you know? it feels like when we were little raw little boys before, before we went to a commercial you know? <laughs> I know I know but like sometimes it's good to take it back to your roots you know what I mean it really is well it is reading in the queers and it's great to have it back I was delighted to spend my week researching <laughs> and I didn't know where to go so I kind of kept it kind of relatively recent I went with 2018 
look, fine year. Pre-pandemic, if only we knew. If only, we, yeah, back to the good old days. <laughs> I was living it up large in Australia that year, actually. Where are you now? So yeah. you know, I mean, it's a long time since I was away doing anything fancy yeah. like that. I, I mean, was I was a Kylie gay back in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great time, I must admit. But kicking it off, right? I'm going to keep it here at home. I'm not going to bring you to Oz with me. I'm not going to reminisce too much. Uh, in June 2018, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar issued an apology to members of the LGBT community for the suffering and discrimination they faced from the Irish state prior to the legislation of homosexuality, the legalisation, sorry, of homosexuality in 1993. I think that is absolutely, like, I think that's absolutely, like, it's it's great that that happened. We're still ongoing trying to, I think there's currently like a process undergoing um, or ongoing around disregarding convictions yeah. that people experienced as a result of kind of the 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 illegality of of LGBTQI plus identity. So, you know, this apology was a great first step and I think it'll come as an enormous comfort to people who maybe felt like as if they were so sort of like that that their identity had been such an issue and getting that formal recognition from the state that we're sorry means so yeah, much. Yeah, but agree. disregarding those convictions is really the next thing that needs to happen. Without a doubt. And I think you're right when what you say it is a first step. And it was long overdue, definitely not enough, but it was very important of the time yeah, to the community. Absolutely. And it was so meaningful, I think, it, for a lot of people. It was nice to finally get that acknowledgement. Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be a reading in the queers that I'm doing if it wasn't for Eurovision, right? Oh, here, so, uh, 2018, I was at Eurovision that year. Were you? I was in Lisbon. Oh my God. Oh my God. Amazing And it was experience. the last year that we qualified. I, yeah, I know. So we need that, to get to over to Malmo. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping now. Yeah, Jesus, you never I mean, know. you never know. If, if I'm the if I'm the lucky the lucky uh, the lucky charm, the lucky charm, you're my I'm lucky happy charm, to go man. wherever wherever <laughs> Eurovision needs me to go. I'll be there. Well, the year was 2018. Ireland qualified thanks to Rhino Shocknessy and his song Together. Together. The performance featured a same-sex couple dancing together. And Ireland finished in 16th place overall after qualifying for the final, uh, which is like our best result in since Jedward, actually, I think. Yeah, it would be. And which I think that's that kind of like, it shows that we're kind of coming around to a moment. Like we, uh, since our sort of like heyday in the, the early 90s, you know, I, I do think we've periodically been able to like get slightly up there. I do think that if we lifting... We have potential. We have potential. If lipstick, if lipstick couldn't do it for us, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how much hope I have. But <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. it was a phenomenal show. I have to say... The rightful winner was absolutely robbed. Absolutely, Fuego, Fuego is like is still. It's it's on yeah. it's on a par with Euphoria. Yeah, yeah like exactly. 100%. Um, it was Neta that won that year for Israel, and look, that didn't age well, did it? But anyway, <laughs> I was talking about the reason I wanted to talk about Eurovision this year is because obviously we had the same sex couple dancing, and it caused quite a stir actually because during the performance or during the Chinese broadcast of the first semi-final um, the Chinese broadcaster Mango TV they censored Ireland's performance and they censored Albania's performance they were essentially edited out of the show along with snippets any snippets of uh, Rainbow Flag also edited out completely so they got in quite a bit of trouble over that um, and and as a result they're not allowed to actually broadcast the, the competition anymore Um the the EBU essentially they they mm-hmm. terminated its um they terminated its partnership I suppose with the yeah because it, it really came kind of strongly and like said this is an all or nothing it's either you're, either you're in and you're showing it or you're not yeah exactly. Albania also censored as well as us because um their artists had tattoos. Interesting. Yeah, oh my god! Absolutely... I'll I'll never be on yeah. um, Chinese television then. No, no, nor will I. <laughs> nor will I. Uh, advances for women in twenty eighteen included that the Miss America pageant announced the end of its swim, swimsuit competition, and also women were allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia for the first time. 
I mean, I'm going to say they're not exactly the sort of, you know, burning down the house, no, here we go moments. No, I'm clutching at straws. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I get something, you know? I, I mean, you know what? It is, it is like, I mean, you always have to measure success by kind of where it is. And I yeah. do think for Saudi Arabia, it is kind yeah. of incredible. Like it was a, an incredible step forward from considering how repressive totally, that and it paved the way are. for Charlie X Boom Room. <laughs> <laughs> weather I love an extreme weather event and the more extreme the, the better one of the most significant snowfall events of recent years took place in 2018 <gasps> not the, fe- the big yeah. snow yeah yeah it was the beast from the east the beast from the east and now every year the papers are like beast from the east too beast from the east is back yeah I'm waiting for it to happen I'd love a snow day uh, I'm going to have to go to celebrity deaths oh, I hate here, to do listen. it but here we go we love a death right uh, Dale Winton um, Dale Winton died I know I always get him mixed up with Michael Barrymore but like mm, you, similar vibe yeah. um, probably most known as the host of Camp Classic Supermarkets loved always wants to go on that so I much I know a brilliant concept for a programme oh, bring no, it back it. it actually has been brought back with ha- Rylan yeah, as the host but not as good no um, it doesn't he died age 62 of natural causes in this North London home um, but like that I always think of him as like one of that tra- those trailblazers along with the likes of Graham Norton Paul O'Grady who were yeah. visible queer on TV in the 90s at a, t- when, at a time when it just wasn't and the was, thing and, and because they were so charismatic and loved they were accepted um, other than that Beyonce took didn't over, die no didn't die no oh sorry no she yeah. lived she Beyonce, slayed she slayed Beyonce didn't die but she took over Coachella or Baychella as it became known becoming the first female black singer to headline the festival I do like I have actual strong memories of the kind of even the like the outfits that she wore during that like I remember there was yeah. like sort of this like gorgeous kind of like Egyptian goddess style it was of, incredible like, it was stunning it was incredible. Stunning, stunning the performances were influenced by black feminism sampling black authors and featuring on stage appearances from Destiny's Child members Kelly Rowland and Michelle Jay-Z of course and her sister Solange we live we, we live. live we live it was a spectacle though um, yeah. and it actually went on um, and became a, a Netflix hit. So they, they recorded I, do, I remember that, Homecoming yeah. Became, she was meant to be actually on in 2017, but she pulled out because of complications with her pregnancy. Mm. So there you go. May 19th, 2018, Prince Harry and Meghan get hitched. Oh. Yeah. yeah Meghan it, Markle, that, uh, that didn't age well. No, it didn't. She was, <laughs> though, the first biracial person to ever marry into the British British monarchy. Um, and her cultural identity was celebrated in loads of different ways during the ceremony, which was uh, like a huge break from tradition mm-hmm. they they had an American preacher who spoke about Martin Luther King and slavery and also they did a rendition of Stand By Me which is like a, obviously not a hymn a traditional yeah. hymn and also William and Kate welcomed Prince Louis that year who is meant to be a bit of a diva listen we we live. I, I can't remember was there the, the there was a, a a sort of a very snarky account set up for yeah. little we George yeah. George. I can't remember yeah. the baby's name, yeah. but anyway. But I do I do like that, and I'm not surprised. I think that you know th- those royal babies they're bound to be a little bit of diva. Absolutely, and well deserved. Um, other things that happened that year in July of 2018, 12 boys aged between 11 and 16. What happened to them? Did they get stuck in a cave? They got, they got stuck in a cave. They were rescued uh, subsequently from a cave in Thailand after spending more than two weeks being trapped. And it became a TV like special. Like it was on, I remember on the news, they had, like, the count, they had a day counter and stuff. And like everyone was engrossed in it. I don't know when the movie is coming out, but I would I would, I love would, to I would it. watch it. I would watch I would it. Love to I think see it. We, we, need to, we need to get into the to, to our guest a song moment. Okay, brilliant. Because this has flown by. I'm like, I forgot how, 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 how I amazing. Know. I know. Um, I have 
got kind of gone easy on you this week. I just don't know. I just don't know whether you'll get it or not. You could get this in one go. You mightn't get it at all. Okay. 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 So we're, we're, I'm going to put my thinking cap on, put myself back to where was I? What was I doing? What, what, was, my, what was my life like when in 2018? In 2018. Okay. So the song serves as track number eight from this artist's debut album. Oh, a debut album. Right? That's just a hint. The album earned a nomination for the Grammy Award for Best Dance Electric Album in 2019. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to get it and we have run out of time. Okay. So you need to tell me. Okay, can I give you one more? Okay, one, one more. more. The artist, unfortunately, tragically died in 2021 after falling from a height in Athens. Well, see, now I do know who this is, yeah. but I can't think of their name. <laughs> I want to say like Avicii. It's Sophie, babe. Oh! Sophie, yeah. Immaterial by Immaterial. Sophie. Immaterial. Oh my God. Now, if you had given me the clue that it was the, the soundtrack to podcast Harsh Reality, the Merriam Rivera story, I'm I would have been like, Delighted. Honest. You're popping off <laughs> and deserved. <laughs> I haven't Dis- had this much adrenaline or competitiveness in my bones since 2023 when we did the last I mean, I, I, am, I am ready to take you down a notch or two. But look, we have come to the end of the show. And before the absolutely amazing Sophie plays us out with Immaterial, we want to say thank you so much for listening to Curiosity. Thanks so much to Paddy Crosby and Anthony Kinahan for coming in and chatting to us today. Remember, if you or anyone you know needs the support of the National LGBT Helpline, it's available seven days a week on 1800 539. I've been James O'Hagan. You can come on over and have a goo at me on Instagram at James O <laughs> underscore Hagan. Have a goo! Oh. <laughs> I'm Podrick Wilson McCarthy and my social media handle is Podrick underscore WMC. And do please get in touch with this show. You can contact us by email Email on curiosity at dublincityfm.ie or you can head over to our dedicated Instagram page. It's at Curiosity Radio. But right now, what's happening? Playing us out for this week, it's Immaterial by Sophie on Curiosity. Curiosity.